off to a good start this morning. I hope I don't mess it up. I don't know about you, but I think many times we really underestimate the benefit of the Lord Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. You know, when you speak the name of Jesus, that song was singing, oh, so true, that there's power in the name of Jesus, that there's healing in the name of Jesus, that there is life in the name of Jesus. You know, when we speak the name of Jesus, we call on the benefit, the authority of the same Jesus that you read about in the Bible this morning, as we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 10. That same Jesus they followed, that's the same Jesus we followed. He hasn't changed The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the things that he did in the gospel messages, the example that we see of his glory and his compassion for us, and the unbelievable truths that he was able to speak, are the same Jesus today that's here this morning through his spirit that will save you if you need forgiveness. He will heal you if you're struggling and hurting He will comfort you. That same Jesus, if we would speak the name of Jesus more often than some of the other things we speak, we'd probably be a lot better off. And this morning, you know, as we look here, we read, Jesus has got his disciples and he's been leading them now probably for at least a year and a half. He's midpoint or more in his ministry, his three years that he was here when he began to call people to follow him. And as we look here, You're getting to chapter 10, and he's been training, he's been equipping, he's been discipling these disciples. And he's got them to the point where they've been watching him teach, they've been watching him do ministry. They begin to see and understand that he's not just a man, he is God. And as they begin to have faith and know who he is, and they begin to learn and they're being taught by him, he tells them here something that I... I think we sometimes wonder. He tells us some of the great truths about being a disciple of Jesus. When we follow Jesus, when it is enough? When have we learned enough? When have we walked with Jesus long enough? Well, he, he says something right here. And he says in verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And then he says the verse that I want us to look at this morning. He says, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. You know, there's a lot of things we could say the will of the Father, the will of God is for every person who is saved by the grace of God through Jesus and follows Jesus. But it's easy to see when you look at the Bible, when you look at Jesus, what God wants for every one of us as we enter the family is he wants us to become like Jesus. Christ-likeness, the need for that in our lives. If you're going to be used by him, if you're going to have a positive influence, that's what God wants to do. Listen what it says. It says in the book of Romans 8.28, we love to quote this. It says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If you've been saved and you love God and you understand God's got a purpose. He didn't just save you to live like you want, do what you want, not be any different than anybody else, and then one day die and go to heaven. He's got you here, and he's working, and he has a purpose for your life. That's why the Bible says this. It says, for whom he foreknew, the next verse, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that we all may be like the firstborn among many brethren. We are supposed to look alike because we look like Jesus and friends that's what he's doing that's why Paul said beloved as you've always obeyed work out your own salvation now with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure and you say well when is God's will being perfected in my life well the Bible tells us that we are not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind So that we may prove what that good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God. You know how you can tell when God's will is being done in your life? You're becoming more like his son, Jesus. And Jesus says, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. You know, churches are filled with people today throughout our great nation, which is considered a Christian nation. We are here in the Bible Belt, churches everywhere with people who are sitting here who would tell you they're following Jesus. We all would say, Jesus is our Savior, he's our Lord, and we're following him. But I want you to think about something for a minute. As we look at what's going on today in church, if one-third, and that's what estimates say, everything that we can do by checking and looking is that one-third of Americans say they're Christians. If one-third of our nation is Christian, why are we constantly losing our spiritual heritage? Why is our Christian influence diminishing in our communities and in our homes and in our society instead of increasing if every one of us is following Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the only requirement, the greatest one of all, the first and foremost thing, if you want God to use you as a Christ Christian influence in your home, in your family, and in your neighborhood is to follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he said, I'm going to do things in your life. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to be a soul winner. He says, I'm going to change you. He says, I'm going to do things in your life. So I want you to think about this. In the last 25 years, the U.S. population has continually increased. While the number of churches and evangelicals, that's what we are considered, have continually decreased. And friends, I, I look around and I'm like, Lord, we do everything for what we put in. We do the effort. We, we preach the word. We, 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 we work and we serve and we do everything we can to make disciples. And then I thought, or do we? Are we trying to make disciples or are we trying to make church members? Because there's a big difference if you think about it and look at the scriptures. And I want to share something with you today. Why? That's my question. Why do we not win the lost better than we do? Why do we not disciple the saved to where people's lives reflect evidence that they're following Jesus? You can look and watch that that man's following Jesus. And friends, listen, Jesus didn't call us to become church members. He called us to become disciples. And there's a big difference. And I want to look at that. You see, disciples make disciples you say how do you know when you are able to make a disciple when you're it's enough when you are like your master he that's what he came for he made disciples we're looking at what he taught his disciples and friends look at this most churches today aren't making disciples because we do not use a biblical plan of action to win the lost we do not use the biblical plan of action to disciple a saved person once he gets saved. In the most of the Baptist churches, once we get them to say, I accept Jesus and we baptize them, we look at that as we're through. When that's when we're just getting started in the discipleship process. And so, if we're going to make disciples who make disciples, the first thing we got to understand is what does it take to be a disciple if you're not following Jesus, it's impossible. You're not a disciple. You can come to church every time the door opens, and you can be at every event, and you can even be involved in helping work in the church. But if you're not following Jesus and learning from him and being taught by him, you're not ever going to be a disciple who can make another disciple. And so I want you to look at this with me. Three elements I want us to look at this morning in the Word of God from the Gospel of Matthew, going back to chapter 4, back up to chapter 10, that you're going to see is what the biblical plan of action is for a church to be doing. You see, God didn't call us to make church members. He called us to make disciples. Disciples are people who follow Jesus in a day-to-day -day personal relationship, just like the disciples that we look at in this text. We follow him the same way. He's left us his example. We see who he is and we see what he did. And then he, we have his teachings that he taught them. And at the end of his life, after the end of his 
crucifixion and his death on the cross that paid for our salvation, that allowed us to have a relationship with him that could be unhindered from our sin. We're no longer separated. We're rightly connected now back to God and we are we are reconciled to where now God can make us who and do what he wants with and in through our life. At the end of his life, after he was resurrected and lived amongst them for 40 days, in every gospel and even in the book of Acts, the last thing that he said to do was what we call the Great Commission. And that's the thing we do the least. Do y'all remember what he said in the back of the gospel of Matthew? It's the last words that you'll see. Verses 18, 19, and 20 of the last chapter. Listen to what Jesus said. All authority has been given to me. All power. Not some authority. Not some power. All power. Nothing is over Jesus. And we're under him and we serve in that power. When we speak the name of Jesus, we are representing him. We are in his power and authority. And listen to what he says. Go therefore and make disciples. And then he tells them in the next verse, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If people learn from him and they follow his commandments, guess what they will be at the end? They will be just like their teacher. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. If we're serving him and he's our master and he's leading and over our life and that's who we are looking to and that's who we are serving, then a servant is going to be like his master. That's what Jesus said. Now go back with me to chapter 4 and I want you to see how the journey starts. How do you make disciples? How do you make disciples? Well, we think you make disciples by getting them to get saved and that's this true. You do. But once someone believes in Jesus enough to accept him, he didn't call them to be saved, to be forgiven of their sins, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just to come to church and be a church member. He called them to follow him. And friends, the call of God in everybody's life in here, the universal call, if he saved you, is to follow his son into a life of discipleship to where you follow him and you learn from him. And as you learn from him, you obey him. And as he leads your life, you become like him. Listen, when he found Peter, John, and James on the seashore, that's when this journey began for them. And look at what it says when you look in chapter 4. It says in verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea in verse 18 of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And look at what it says. They immediately left their nets and they followed him. They didn't have a family discussion. They didn't need to study. They didn't need to say, should I follow Jesus? If you get saved by Jesus, you won't have to be convinced that your life now is supposed to follow him. You'll know it. They had met him already before. You see that in the Gospel of John. Andrew had met him. He realizes he's the Messiah. He goes back and gets Peter. And friends, listen, Peter, people that know Jesus, that follow Jesus, go find other people to come and follow Jesus. And immediately Andrew said, we have found him who we've been looking for. He is the Christ. And they began to hear. So here he's calling them now. To come and follow him. He tells them and they both leave. He goes a little further and he finds two other brothers. And when he finds them, he told them the same thing. Come and follow me. When he found a tax collector named Levi, what did he tell him to do? Come and follow me. It's really simple. Today in the church, God doesn't want us to get people to come to church. He wants to get the church to go to people. But we got it backwards. Why does he want us in the church? What does he want us to do? He wants us to go with him on the greatest journey you'll ever be on, the missionary journey in Jesus' name, to reach people, to make disciples, and learn, teach them what he's teaching you. Now, when you follow in Jesus, you learn stuff you don't learn by just coming to church. Have you figured that out? And we talk about Jesus a lot. What does Jesus want to do? Well, once he gets you to following him, he wants to teach you and he wants to show you the truths of what's in the word of God so that you can grow and so that you can be mature, so that you can do what he wants you to do. And friends, listen, the first thing Jesus does when you look here is he gets them following him. 
And then he begins to teach. Look at what it says in verse 25. I mean, verse 23. So he talks, he gets them to follow him, and it says in verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. You can say, yeah, but we don't get to see that. Yes, you do. You can read the gospels. You can see four gospels that show you how Jesus did that. And you can see exactly what he did and how he did it. And look at what it says. Then his fame went throughout all of Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon possessed and epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. Friends, that's sad. He's got power. Amen. He's got authority. He's the one you ought to be following. And listen to what he tells us to do. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. It says, and when they were seated. With his disciples came to him. And I want you to look at verse 2. He opened his mouth and he taught them. Friends, when he taught them, he taught them the Sermon on the Mount. And some of the greatest teaching you can see. The Sermon on the Mount, many people, most theologians, commentators say, is the greatest sermon any forgiven to man on how we live spiritually and how we relate to God. And he speeches and he teaches in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. And as he sat them down, look at what they said about his teaching when you get to the end of chapter 8. At the end of the sermon, this is how you know you preached a good sermon. Look at what they said in verse 28. And it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. Friends, there's nobody else you'll ever follow that has more astonishing truth to import into your life than Jesus. There's not a preacher that can come up with anything better than what the Bible already has written there to teach. That's why we don't add to it. We just teach what's already there. And look at what he says. For he taught them as one having what? Authority, that's power. Do you know what they said when they went to him and they told him, they said, why are y'all listening to him? The scribes and the Pharisees said, because no man's ever spoken like this man. No one's ever had the things to say that this man said. If you are bored with the teachings of Jesus to where the gospels don't interest you, you have not met him. He has not did his work in you. When you meet him and he saves you and he forgives you and you begin to realize he is the son of God. He is the one who came from heaven to save us. And now that he's coming to my life, he saved me. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. But in the meantime, what's he want me to do? He wants me to follow him. He wants to invest in my life. So as we walk with him, he teaches us. What does he teach us? By example, if you're following Jesus and you're learning from him, you see that everywhere Jesus went, he invested in people, he ministered to people, he helped people, and he preached and he taught the truths of the kingdom. Guys, we are here to represent the kingdom and to bring forth the kingdom agenda, not to build a church. You see, God doesn't want us just to make disciples who are church members. He doesn't want us to get church members. He wants us to get disciples. He doesn't want us just to get people here who become workers and do things in the church. You see, you can be busy in the church and be spiritual immature. You can be in the church doing work for years, but if you've never been in the Word, if your life's never been interrupted by Jesus, if Jesus never took your agenda and said, that ain't what I want you to do, follow me. And if you've never got to the point with Christ that he's so real in your life that he has caused what he says it takes to be a disciple, deny yourself. Deny what you want to do. Deny what you thought church was all about. Deny and understand that church ain't really about you anymore. It's about him. And now he wants you to take up your cross, which is his will and his purpose for your life, and follow him. May I tell you, it's impossible to follow Jesus if you do only what you want to do. It's impossible to follow Jesus when everything is about you and for you. And what we've done is we fill churches filled with people who are nothing but members who really don't follow Jesus. And because they're not following Jesus, we're desperate. And if they get saved and they come six weeks in a row, they're on the list to give them a job. And we'll put them anywhere that there's a hole that we're missing. 
And if they just got saved or they might not even be saved, do you really think they're going to prosper and flourish and produce spiritual things in the people that they're over in a ministry position? So the churches today are just plugging people in when we're supposed to be saying, follow Jesus, come with us, let him teach you, learn from the master, watch what he did, look at that. And the amazing thing is Jesus matures us. He makes us into spiritually mature believers. You see, my job is not to do ministry for you. My job is to equip you and train you to do the ministry of the church. Listen to what the Bible says. Just hold your place where we are. But I want to read something to you. When you look in the book of Ephesians, the Bible says right here, it says, And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Jesus himself gave those people to you as a gift to the church. For what? To preach to you and entertain you? To do your work? No, listen to what it says. Jesus himself gave you a pastor and a teacher. He gave an evangelist to you. For what? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to edify and build up the church. You know how he builds up the church? He equips you. You're the saints. He builds you up and he equips you and he disciples you to do the work of ministry. How does that have to happen? Listen to what he says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature Man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He wants me to teach you the word of God, to preach to you the example of Jesus, to live a life where I'm following Jesus and I'm, I'm obeying Jesus. And I'm saying, if you follow Jesus, this is what he does to your life. This is what he uses you for. And he trains us and he equips us. And now I help you. And listen to what he says. Till we all come to the unity Why is there so much disunity in the churches today? Because we are spiritually immature and we are not in touch and we don't know who the master is. He is not the one that we understand that is leading our life. And listen to what he says. To the knowledge of the Son of God, to that mature, perfect man, to the measure, that's to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? That we should no longer walk around like children tossed to and fro with every doctrine, every teaching. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him, Christ, who is the head of the church. So what Jesus wants us to do is follow him, learn from him. Those of us who are following, those of us who are learning, help the ones who ain't following yet. Help the ones who haven't learned yet. We're not here to get people in here and plug them in all over. You see, what we have come up to make a mistake in is we think the more things we got going on in church, the more activities we can create, the more things we can supply to entertain folks and get them here, the more people we can get. So out of the more people we can get coming, the more we can get to be a worker. And then the more workers we got, the more we can accomplish and get to church. No, you won't. A church filled with people who aren't disciples, who don't follow Jesus, will never ever accomplish the perfect will of God, which is not to fill this church up with people. It's for all of us to become like him. When we become like him and we're following him and we're a disciple and he's changed our life, guess what? We'll make disciples. And guess what? Lots of church members have no inkling, no desire to follow Jesus. So you can have a church full of people who never follow Jesus. They don't have a relationship. They're not being taught. Their life's not being trained, discipled, and molded to be that spiritual person that has Christ-likeness, who's able to share the gospel, to able to be a minister and witness. And, but listen, you can have people who are disciples. And you know what I've come to find? All true disciples go to church, but most true church members don't follow Jesus. I'm not saying that to incriminate. I'm saying that to even look at my life. Because as he teaches us, why is he teaching us? Because he wants to use us. He taught them through the gospel of, you can see, in the Sermon on the Mount. They get it out of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at chapter 8. Look at the first thing happens when chapter 8 is over. Remember, we're working back up to where we started. When you get to chapter 8, i got to get my Bible back over here. You see, it's hard to learn and be a disciple without a Bible. Sitting here today with no Bible, you're, you have a great disadvantage of becoming a disciple. 
You got to have the Bible. You got to look through it. You got to learn. That's how Jesus teaches. But look when you get to chapter 8. It says, when he had come down from the mountains, great multitudes were following him. So what did he do? Well, first thing he does, he heals a leper. Unbelievable. Assuredly, he says to you, your faith has made you clean. So he does that. They see that. Then he goes from there and he comes upon a centurion who's got a daughter who is dying. And he does a miracle and he saves her. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes in verse 18 about him, he gave a command for them to depart with him to the other side. And then what happens? What did Jesus say? You know what we try to do to get people to follow Jesus? We try to tell them how wonderful it's going to be, and it is wonderful. But Jesus tells them right here. They said, we'll come and follow you. He says, well, foxes have holes and birds of the nest have nests. But the Son of Man, basically what he said, is homeless. (laughs) I don't have a place to lay my head. But friends, listen. Then the other disciples come to him. They say, Lord, let me first go and bury you. My father and Jesus says to them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. See, everywhere Jesus is going, he's telling people to follow him. And the disciples who are already following him are going wherever he goes. Look at the next verse, verse 23. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Now, this is amazing because if you go back to chapters 40, y'all remember what happened in the boat? Jesus said, follow me, get in the boat. They got in the boat with him. They left the shore. And what happened? All hell came out after them. Their storm came. Here's the storm. See, if you're following Jesus, you're going to get to experience Jesus' miraculous power and his authority. But when all you do is sit in the church pew, the most you're ever going to do is get to hear about it. Did you catch that? So they're following Jesus. They get in the boat. They get away from the shore, the other side. They're going over. He said, I'm taking you to the other side. We ain't never been over there, Jesus. You know, we ain't never done this. We stay over here on the safe side. And Jesus said, no, get in the boat with me. We're going to the other side. I'm taking you somewhere. Follow me. You see, Jesus can't take you where he wants to bring you if you're not willing to follow him wherever he wants you to go. And so as you trust him enough to follow him and get in the boat, they got in the boat and the storm came. They failed. What did they say? Jesus, Jesus, get up. Do you not care that we are perishing? Where's Jesus? He's asleep. Jesus gets up. An amazing thing, man. They're all fishermen, professional fishermen. They've been on that lake all their life. Man, they are scared to death thinking they're fixing to drown. The storm is blowing. The rain is blowing. The waves are coming in the boat. They think they're fixing to perish. And Jesus gets up and says, peace be still. And he's calmed the storm. Friends, you know what I found? The more you follow Jesus and the more you let Jesus lead your life and the more you try to be like Jesus, you will have storms. But you know what? You'll never be in one by yourself ever again. When you often you go where you didn't supposed to go and you went and did what you didn't supposed to do. Yeah, you're going to have a storm, but you might find yourself by yourself. Not that he would ever let you perish. But man, there's a big difference of being in a storm and you ain't even in the boat with Jesus And Jesus ain't in the boat with you, but then you done got in a storm, and Jesus ain't. But when Jesus is with you, you can say, Jesus, Jesus, Master. And he woke up. And friends, that's what he's doing. He's teaching them. Why? Because he wants them to be able to do what he does, to do what he's doing and be like them. When you get to chapter 9, you see an example of Jesus. You see, just one after another, if you read the Gospels, he's doing ministry. He's making the difference in people's lives. When you get to chapter 9, you see who Jesus was. You see an example of his, his character. Look at verse 35 of chapter 9. We're about to get to where we're going to close. Look at verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages. Guys, if you're following Jesus, disciples aren't going to find all the best churches. They're not looking for the most exciting, newest church where it's happening. They're looking for Jesus to lead them, not to church, but for the church to be led to people. See, disciples are out there trying to make disciples. And friends, today in America, the majority of people who pronounce themselves and announce themselves to be a Christian, their big event of their life, the big thing of their day and their week is to go to church. But the rest of the week, the church is supposed to be going to them. And look at what it says right there. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Friends, that's what we're supposed to do. And you say, well, we can't heal nobody, but Jesus can. You might not be able to personally have the gift of healing, but you have the knowledge of who can. But guys, listen, we can preach his gospel. 
And everywhere he went, in every city, he was teaching in the synagogues, teaching the word of God. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and setting the good news of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to just come here, hear a sermon, and go out and be a church member. We're not just supposed to come here, get a job, work, and have a position, and never do that. You know, also what Jesus did was he multiplied and he gave them ministry opportunities. You see, a church is not here to make activities. Activities is something we come to to watch. A ministry is something we become a part of and we participate. Jesus is not looking for spectators. He doesn't need fans. He's looking for participators. People to be involved with his work and go and do what he does. And he's looking for just common people like us who will answer the call and follow him, allow him to teach them. And I'm going to tell you something. A person who's followed Jesus, he's been taught by Jesus, he's obeyed Jesus, Jesus invested into his life, he understands the teachings of Christ, he sees he is able to go and follow the Lord and do what he wants to do. And friends, I want you to think about this. We're not here to make activities for people to come to. We're here to multiply ministries that we are a part of that we minister to people. Look at this part here. Disciples follow Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, he's going to mature you as a believer to know him and to know his teaching. And as you begin to understand and have a relationship with Jesus and you follow him and you begin to emulate him and you begin to let him lead your life, you're going to grow in maturity. And people who are mature, discipled, mature believers make disciples. Disciples make other disciples. And friends, you're not going to ever make a disciple until our life begins to have Christ-likeness. That's why Christ-likeness, becoming like Christ, is the only thing that is enough. Have you ever been around somebody trying to be and do Jesus' work, and he ain't got much Jesus? (laughs) You see, you can't give away what you don't have. And you know, ultimately what we're giving away in every ministry, if it's going to make a life-changing difference in the people we minister to, It's not a preacher that people like and like he's a preacher. It's not music that people like. It's the one we preach about. It's the one we sing about. You don't need a better preacher. You can go find one easy. I can promise you than me. But you need more Jesus. You don't need whatever type of music you think to worship him. You know what I find? If you hang out with Jesus all week and you let Jesus lead you, man, you don't even care about the music really. You just worship Jesus. That's what he wants to do in all of our lives. And I want you to see what happens here. As Jesus now has been leading them, probably most people from what I can see is at least coming up on two years. He's invested in them. They followed him. They failed. And from their failures, they learned. Many times they got mixed up and Jesus didn't quit on them. He would re-explain He would continue to teach them. Who do men say that I am? What did they all start saying? Well, some said you're John the Baptist. Some said you're him. They all had different answers too. But Peter got it right. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this, I'm going to build my church. And friends, listen to this. When you get to chapter 10, look at verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to himself, look at what he did. He gave them what? Power. You know why you don't have no power in your life, Mr. Church man? Your prayers don't get answered. You can't even win your family, your lost loved ones. Because power doesn't come from regular church attendance. Power comes from sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words, letting them come into your heart. Do you remember the two sisters, Mary and Martha? Martha was a worker even. Power don't come from working in the church and doing chores in the church. Power comes from doing ministry in the power of Christ. Martha was cooking and doing everything, feeding Jesus. Jesus is come to eat and she's in there doing all the things that we as Baptists would say. Oh man, did you go to that the other day, that meal they had at that church? Man, it was good. We were impressed with meals. We fed a meal yesterday. But that meal that we fed yesterday wasn't the most important thing we fed to Brother Bill. The most important thing we fed to Brother Bill was the words of Jesus, the promises of Christ. And the greatest example wasn't a servant who can cook and feed. The greatest example that we'll ever set is the love and the compassion that Jesus had. And if we have that compassion, it's not going to come by accident. Jesus has got to put it there. 
And that's what Jesus had. When you look at chapter 9, right above that, look at what it says. It says, but in verse 36, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. You see, if we're following Jesus, we got a shepherd. We got a, we're not sheep that's lost. They're everywhere lost. And you see, the problem is Jesus is able to send us, call us. He's able to give us power. And there's a harvest out there that disciples, people who are mature in Christ, people who don't come to church just to attend, people who don't just have a position in the church to be a worker, but people, my friend, who aren't coming for activities, they go coming to be a minister. We have ministries here that make a difference in the name of Jesus. That's the church that God uses. You see, the harvest is true and full plentiful. Look at what he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, to be a laborer, you got to do more than just go to church. You got to do more than have 30 years in the church. You got to have time following Jesus. You got to trust Him and believe in Him and learn from Him and let Him teach you and let Him show you and let Him place you where He wants you so that He can make you learn from Him. Have you figured out yet that you learn more from Jesus doing things with Jesus than just sitting in the pew listening to Him? Now, thank God when you first get saved, you learn a lot listening. But there'll come a time in your relationship with Jesus where he say, you've been listening long enough. Get out of that comfort zone. I got something to show you. I got somewhere to lead you. I'm taking you from this side to the other side. I'm bringing you somewhere you've never been. Yeah, there might be storms. Yeah, there's demons. Yes, there's spiritual warfare. But along the way, I will never let you down. I will be the one who leads you and guides you. And you will go and make disciples in my authority. Friends, that's the plan of the church. But we just are happy to have a crowd. To have people doing the work and to be actively involved. Friends, listen. This is what Jesus told them. And look at what happens. When he told them right there in verse 1 of chapter 10. And when he called his 12 disciples to himself. He gave them power over the enemy, the unclean spirits. To cast them out. And to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. I don't know about you. But I don't have personal ability like Jesus to go to the hospital and heal people. But I'm going to tell you what I see him doing. I see when people are following Jesus and they're real and their life is living in obedience to him and following him. They may not have the power to heal, but they pray and God does things through them and he heals. They stand against the enemy in the name of, speak the name of Jesus. When you speak the name of Jesus, you speak power over Satan. You speak power over the enemy. But remember what happened to Paul when those old boys, those 12, those um, sons of Sceva, those priests, they seen Paul exercising the enemy, overcoming the enemy, so they decided to do it. And they went to cast out a demon in the name of Paul over in the book of Acts. And they said, in the name of Paul, we command you. And you know what the demon said? We know about Jesus. We know about Paul, but who are you? You see, we don't have any power outside of Jesus committed to him being under him as he leads us. But as he leads us, we have all power to heal to call on his ability to, to overcome the enemy. And that's what he says right there. He gave them unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Listen what it says when you get to chapter, I mean, verse, um, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them. He didn't call them into the church. He didn't call them into the synagogue. He sent them out. And friends, listen. If you're going to follow Jesus, the majority of what Jesus is going to do in your life won't happen in here. It'll happen out there. It'll happen as he leads you. And look at what it says. I love this part. Look at this. He says, and as you go, he says, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans. Now, he was going to lead and save them, but that wasn't what he wanted them to do. Look at what he says. He gives them specifically what to do. Look at verse 6. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach. There's nobody here that God can't send if you'll follow Jesus, that he can't teach, that you can go and preach and share the good. Now, I'm not meaning you're a preacher up here in front of everybody, but how many of you has got a loved one in your family and needs somebody to preach to him that he won't come to the preacher? So bring the preaching to him. 
That's what God wants to do. And look at what he says. He says, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven it is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out the demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. You know what most people think? But that's in the Bible, Brother Marvin. This is today. That's the, we just sang, same God. Perfect song, brother. This is the same Jesus. If he could do it then, he can do it now. If he can't do it now, he wasn't the one you're looking to. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but we've been praying. We see God answer prayers all the time. How about you? We've been praying specifically for some things. We've been praying for a nursery coordinator. Some of you have been with us when we prayed out loud and said, Lord, we need a nursery coordinator. There were some people just didn't think it was ever going to happen. That's why you didn't pray. We prayed in our staff meetings. Me and Jonathan and Sam kept praying. You know what? We didn't go find our new nursery coordinator that's fixing to come and help us. Not nursery. I mean um, Sunday school director. You know what was bad? We just prayed. I was about ready to give up. The Sunday school director came and found me. Came up to me two Sundays ago and said, Hey, Brother Marvin, I've been thinking, you know, I'm not teaching anymore. Y'all all going to know who she is. said, God's put it on my heart that I, I would like to, I see y'all don't have a Sunday school director. And y'all, what are y'all doing with it? And I said, we need help. Miss Linda Lawless. <laughs> and she's going to come and meet with our secretary Tuesday. And she's going to look at all what we got and take it over. And she said, I don't want to just keep the role. This is what I'm praying for. This is what we pray. We don't want a role keeper. We don't want a church, a Sunday school secretary. We want a, a Sunday school director. She said, I want to be over it. I want to look at it and help you. And I want to be able to call people that didn't come and invite. I said, that's, man, ain't that awesome? But listen, our Sunday school coordinator, that's one thing. But we also needed a nursery coordinator. We got to praying. And we all are wondering who we're going to get. Katrina was doing a great job, but they moved to off and they moved too far at Longview so she was gracious enough to come long as she could but she couldn't come anymore and just last week we, we we're talking we got to find one so we're praying yesterday we're doing the funeral brother Bill and the ladies are in there serving you know what God blesses you when you serve Jesus and they're in there and Miss Diane and Miss Nita's just talking about the the, the nursery need and here is Miss Cherie <laughs> Miss Cherie, just for her first time, and she's been a member of this church a pretty good while, but for her first time, she came and helped Wednesday night and did children's ministry and loved it. And is all excited and is going to be back. But she heard them talking about a nursery coordinator. You know what she said? Well, what is that? Who is that? She said, you know what? I'm not going back to work. Her husband just recently, we all know the story, Brother James. She says, I might be interested in doing that. So they told her about it. She went home. Diane told me about it. I'm praying, Lord, Lord. I'm thinking, surely, Cherie, is that the one? She comes today. She walks into the classroom. She says, hey, I'm the one. God knocked me upside my head. That's what she said and said, you're it. <laughs> Friends, listen, God provides. He moves. He's got people. Then you know what? If he chose Miss Cherie, if he's chose Miss Linda Lawless, guess what? He's got something in here. If you're following Jesus, that he's going to choose for you to do. It may just pray, pray. It may just help with nursery periodically. But he didn't send you to church just to sit here to come to activities and go home unchanged. He sent you here to be saved. Yes, but to be taught, to grow, to become part of ministry. And friends, today, as you look at that, he says he sent them out and they went out in power. I don't need that anymore. I'm through. We're fixing to close. And look at what he says when you look down there. He says in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore wise as servants and harmless as doves. But be, that's not what I was looking for. There it is, 24. <laughs> and he says, how do you know it's enough? How do I know when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in the church? He says, a disciple is not above his teacher. What did our teacher do? Jesus said, son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. Jesus served. And look at what he says. He says, it is enough when a disciple is like his teacher. You know, we're going to be having some things coming up. We're going to be having in the next few weeks, the whole month of February. 
How many of you here have said, I wish I could witness better. I wish I knew how to share my faith. Well, you know, God doesn't want me just to tell you about it. He doesn't just want us to, to keep trying to do it for you. But we're going to have soul winning Sundays for the whole month of February. And every Sunday night at 6 o'clock at our old evening service time, we're going to have a service that's dedicated to being equipped, trained, discipled to be able to share your faith and follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you something. He didn't say, I'm going to make you a Baptist. I'm going to make you a Pentecostal. I'm going to make you a Methodist. He didn't say, I'm going to make you a church member. He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So if you're following Jesus, he's going to make you able to tell others and fish. Friends, listen, we're going to have each Sunday night at 6 p.m. And on February the 19th, evangelist Kyle Williams is coming. How many of you knows Kyle? I'm going to tell you what. That brother is a soul-winning machine, and everywhere I go, I just get amazed at how he shares his faith. He's going to come Sunday morning. He's going to come back that Sunday night, and that's the second to last Sunday night. And then we're going to go home and take what I've taught you for two Sunday nights, what Brother Kyle taught you on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. Me and Brother Kyle's praying for you already. You know what? We're going to come back the last night. The last Sunday is graduation. And you know how you graduate? You just do like Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? He fished for men. Now, how many of you have been fishing and didn't catch nothing? But I don't know about you, but if you like fishing, you don't go because you catch. You go because you like to fish. Every time you share the gospel, you're not going to win somebody to the Lord. But if you never share the gospel, rest assured, you're never, ever going to catch anybody for the Lord. And if you don't go fishing, you ain't going to catch fish. If you don't go soul winning, you ain't going to win souls. But the fact that you went and you tried is what God will honor you for. That's what Jesus did. You're never more like Jesus than when you have a compassion and a burden for the souls of men. And you take it and you go. And friends, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to ask everybody. All right, we've got three weeks of teaching and training. You may already witness to somebody. But next week when we come, it's not to hear Brother Marvin. It's not to hear Brother Kyle. We're going to come and we're going to give testimonies. Hey, man, who wants to share a witnessing encounter? Let's share what happened. You know what's going to happen? I believe with all my heart. Someone's going to say, man, I don't know how, but this one got saved. <laughs> I led someone to the Lord. You know, when I first went to seminary, I was in seminary in class, and I'm going to shut up. You would think seminary students who are called to full-time ministry would be one-on-one personal soul winners, wouldn't you? Brother Jake Rukowski was a doctoral student. It was his first year to teach, and he was teaching us evangelism and missions, and I still got all of my stuff from that class, and I'm going to take what he taught me, and I'm going to share it with you on those Sunday nights from my evangelism and missions class from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And Brother Jake looked at us, and there was at least 30 or more of us in there. He said, how many here, he's from Russia, he's still young, ain't been here long, he was a doctoral student, he's a professor now, he's still teaching at seminary. And he says, how many here has personally led someone to the Lord, not from an altar call, not from pulpit preaching, but one-on-one, sat down, looked them face to face, and led them to the Lord. Out of that big old classroom, three people raised their hand. You know what Jake said? He said, at the end of this course, you will lead someone to the Lord or you know pass my class. Not do it, win someone to the Lord. Do you know, at the end of that class, to my astonishment, everyone shared. Now, we were doing it every week. Every week, someone shared. And every week, we would, he would pick somebody and we was just doing what we were being taught. At the end of that week, not a single student in that class didn't lead someone to pray, to receive Jesus. I'm convinced that our job ain't to invite our friends to come to church. It ain't to get our people to come here and get them coming and then give them a position. It ain't to create activities to make church people go from this church to this church to this church. Do you know that the majority of our growth in our churches today are not coming from people getting saved? The majority of churches that are growing are from swapping from church to church, finding the most new church, the greatest activities, the one who has the best preacher. Friends, listen, if we all would go tell people about Jesus and follow Jesus and let him equip us and become like Jesus, you couldn't fit the people in this church in a year because that's the God plan. So I just want you to pray about it. If you don't come, there's no shame. We still love you. But we're going to pray. If we can get 10 here, if we could get 20 here, 
we could get 30 here, if we could get half of us here this morning to take this and all go share our faith, I don't know about y'all. I'm believing someone's fixing to get saved. How about you, Sam? So I am asking you to get out of your comfort zone. You know where I found Jesus at? Jesus is not in the comfortable places of life. (laughs) Jesus is in the places where nobody else wants to go. If Jesus was here, he wouldn't be at our churches this morning. He'd be down there on the corner in those neighborhoods we don't want to go to, telling lost sinners about the good news of the kingdom. That's where we need to be going. And so I want to invite you. We're going to stand this morning. Maybe you've never been saved. Jesus has got to save you before you can disciple you. You can't disciple something that doesn't want to be discipled. And when Jesus saves you, he gives you a new heart. And you know, it's kind of quiet in here this morning. This don't excite people like picking on the drunkards or the homosexuals. Boy, I can get amens for that real easy. But when I start bringing it home to what are you doing with Jesus and what is Jesus doing with you? I don't know about y'all, but I'm under conviction. I say I don't share my faith like I should and could. And I want to invite you to experience the joy of being a soul winner. But this morning, I want to also let you know that maybe you're here and you've never been saved. Jesus died for you on the cross. This is all you got to go tell people. And the reason he came and left heaven and was willing to die because every one of us is a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. And death is separation from God for all of eternity. Spiritual death that starts with physical death. And, but the free wages, the, the free gift of God for the wages of our sin, which is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And today, if you'll just believe that he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him should not have to perish but be saved. You can be saved. How do you get saved? What you believe in your heart. If you believe this in your heart, the Bible said you believe that, you accept that, you trust God for what he's shown us through Christ. And you trust that Jesus died for you that he was buried, and that the third day he rose again, and now he lives for you to help you, to lead you, to guide you, direct you, to, to help you, to bring you new life. And then what you believe in your heart, the Bible says you confess with your mouth, that with the heart you believe unto righteous, with the mouth you confess unto salvation. And this is what the Bible says in Romans ten thirteen: Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It works, don't it, folks? This morning, we're giving you the greatest invitation you'll ever have. It's that easy. But then once you get saved, that's not the end. That's the beginning. Jesus wants you to follow him. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to follow Jesus as I pray. And if he's calling you, I'm going to ask you to come while you can. Father, we thank you for the privilege, the honor, the greatest journey that we could ever be a part of is to follow Jesus. And Lord, I thank you tonight for each person here. And I pray for the one who's lost, who's undone, that today you would draw him, that you would help him to come and be saved by your grace. And for each of us, Lord, who know you, who follow you, we're good people. We go to church. We love you. We love hearing about you. But Lord, help us to realize there's more to it than just coming. And help us to be sent out and be willing to go and be your mouthpiece. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you bear upon our hearts the the burden to see lost people saved and to see others come to know you as we know you so that they can follow you too. Lord, help us do that today in Jesus' name. Amen.